Hey coach, I know you're out there hustling to get into classrooms and provide feedback that actually improves instruction, but meeting your teacher's needs when you're looking at a stack of sticky notes is just about impossible. I want to share a coaching tool that I know you'll love. DigiCoach is an app you can use on your phone, designed for busy coaches like you and your administrators too. It's the perfect way to record your observations and notes when you visit a classroom, collect data about what's going on at your school, and differentiate your coaching support based on the patterns you see. Some of my favorite features include the reports and DigiCoach's pre-written strategies and coaching tips to provide specific feedback and help in those moments when you just don't know what to say. Ready to check it out and make your workload so much lighter? Head to digicoach.com and tell them Miss B sent you to try it out for free and provide actionable feedback to your teachers. Are you a literacy coach trying to help your school grow their literacy practices? I have got the video series for you. This free email video course is all about the five priorities for literacy coaches in the first semester of school. It'll walk you through the five areas of focus you need to have in place in order to grow your school into SOR practices. Change takes time, but we can make sure we're on the right track by focusing on the right things. Get this free video course at buzzingwithmissb.com slash literacy coach. You're going to love it. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coach, and welcome to episode 163, Writing Curriculum Together with Lindsay Lyons. This month is PLC month on the podcast. We're digging into ways that you can use your PLCs better. And one of my favorite ways is to write curriculum together. Now, true collaborative planning isn't for the faint of heart by any means. I myself struggled with it significantly during my first year as a coach. Over time, things got so much better, but it took real work, thought, and having a purpose for everything we did to make this time work. To help you grow your own structures for curriculum writing, I've invited Lindsay Lyons to the podcast. So welcome, Lindsay. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you so much, Christy. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you could join us. Before we get started in talking about writing curriculum together with your teams, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to my listeners a little bit, talk about you know who you are, how you ended up here, and what kind of work you focus on right now. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Lindsay, and I... Really, I call myself an educational justice coach. People always ask me what this means. I totally made this up. But I think because everything that I do, whether it's around curriculum, whether it's around policy, it always centers justice and intersectional justice for our students um, at, at the center. And so how I came to education, my parents were both educators and I was always staunchly in the camp of, I am not going to be an educator because I see, you know, all the grading that comes home and all the things, but my undergrad was very much geared in, um, gender women's studies, sociology and justice type of things. And I was like, I really want to get to the heart of, um, you know, preventing the injustices before they happen rather than helping people through them as their adults. You know, if I can work with youth, that would be great. And so that's how I ended up as an educator. I mean, really what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm hyper-focused on 
developing feminist anti-racist curricula with teams specifically with departments. Typically that's social studies ELA, but I've gotten into social studies or science and math more. And that's super fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, We recently did a tech episode. So there's all sorts of ways to bring justice to the core of, you know, whatever content area you're teaching. Yeah, I totally can see that science. I mean, like farming, there's so many issues that are connected to social justice you know, having access to food and, you know, the way that we use our materials. And that's, I'm sure there's a lot of really interesting stuff that went into that planning. Yeah, definitely. So many cool things. So today we're looking at curriculum writing, and this is like your area of of forte. And so we want to talk a little bit about how we can leverage a PLC to create new units because PLCs can do a lot of things together. um, And this is one of the things that they can do together. And I have found it really, I mean, it's a it's an amazing process. It's so interesting. And it helps people bring like their best of themselves to the table over time. But I would love to hear from you about a little bit about what this process looks like whenever you write new units with a team. Yeah, definitely. And there it's so unique to <laughs> talk to a whole team versus one individual teacher. So I think excellent framing there. <laughs> and so I think one of the things is, you know, are we working with a team who's writing a bunch of different uh, units, like they're not teaching the exact same curriculum, or are we writing one where all the lessons, all the texts are going to be shared by the whole team? And so it will look a little bit different for both. But I think generally, I try to really make sure that the process is one of co-creation. So as a coach, um, you know, thinking about where do I provide those sparks? Where do I provide those questions that kind of direct us down this path or help us think a little bit more broadly or about our purpose? So usually I'll think about, okay, where do we find a spark? And so I I, I love Dr. Goldie Muhammad's work in so many, so many ways. And one of the things that she talked about in her most recent book is like this idea of being able to become like fluent in curriculum writing. So being able to take a spark of anything, I'm walking down the road and I see this really interesting tree. And now I'm curious about how the tree got to be that color and, you know, whatever. And so just taking any spark in our daily lives or our students' daily lives and kind of going from there. So I think the first step is really like, what's a spark that will be interesting to students? Might be a hook lesson. It might turn into something like a driving question. And then from there, thinking about her her five pursuits she talks about, but really I like the three that are, I think, most undervalued, which is identity, criticality, and joy. So how do we bring those three things in to the unit that we're developing. And and I think often criticality is the piece that I feel most comfortable with and also that is furthest from sometimes our minds when we're in more of a traditional mindset of teaching and planning for teaching. And so that's usually the one that brings me back. So what's that critical piece, which leads into the driving question that usually has some element of criticality in it um, and ultimately a summative assessment project, which I usually call an activist project. Um, It's like, how do students take action in a true authentic way? to use what they learn to help their communities in whatever way you define community. It could be their school, it could be their classroom, it could be their city, the states, the nation, you know, globally. Um, And I think that's really it. And then from there, we'll build out a unit arc. So I usually have people create a unit arc that's the same regardless of content. You can use it over and over, but it's like, I usually build the hook and then I build the base of the foundational knowledge. Maybe we have a core text we revisit for three or four days. And then I pull in case studies. And so here's the lessons or types of lessons that I do around a case study. And maybe students are choosing the content of those, but I know that I usually do a gallery walk or I usually do a circle protocol to discuss or a Socratic seminar. And so I think once you have that, you can kind of plug and play the different texts and specific types of things for each unit. Makes it more manageable over time once you've got people set up with that structure. Yep, exactly. Exactly. 
And so how do you go about introducing those elements to teachers who are very unfamiliar with that process? Yeah, I think one of the things is just asking them what is possible first, because I think if you have the excitement and the energy around well, this is something that I've always wanted to do, or I can connect to, you know, where I was as a student. I think often one of the largest hurdles is like, it seems insurmountable. So I just don't want to go there. And I don't even Mm want to go there to the point where I'm just going to say, you know, what I have is good enough, or I can just slightly tweak it. And I often am thinking, we want to start from scratch to truly center justice and not add it in um, as kind of Mm -hmm. this like checkbox thing, you know? And so that can be overwhelming and daunting. And so people kind of shy away. So usually it's, well, what do you want students to feel, to experience? What do you want to feel when you're teaching it? And really to get at those feelings or kind of like lived experience of this, um, going to that kind of dream space where you're like, we'll figure out the how later can sometimes be very freeing uh, to be able to kind of get people interested. And then the process can come later. Okay. So then you, do you bridge like things that have to be taught inherently at school, like standards that teachers have? Do you find ways to bridge that into the justice areas that you're focusing on? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's, that's critical. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. if you don't have those standards, you know, if we do have some sort of state test, like your students might not do well on it and we, you know, we have to do that. So I think, yeah, it it is a bridge. I Mm -hmm. also think that most of the standards that we have, if we are kind of uh, willing to explore or be aware of like a lot of social justice happenings and like different connections. Like it is actually a much easier tie than I think I initially thought when I started this work. And so I think sometimes it is just being able to have the conversations with experts in the field of social justice. And then you being the content expert of, you know, your class and the the standards of your specific state, Mm -hmm. like bridging those together, just that conversation alone can be really generative. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think that we get really stuck. um, Teachers tend to get really stuck because they're so worried about like the tests, like you mentioned, or about checking things off that have to be taught to a certain level that they get really focused on. Well, this is the way we always do it. This is how we have to teach this thing. But what you're saying is we can look at these units through a different lens and say, what connections do they have to the world? And we know that relevance is a huge part of the way kids are engaged in school. If something is relevant, it's more meaningful and they're more likely to be interested in doing that thing. And so if we can paint them a picture of this is how it affects the world that we live in and it affects different people in different ways, then they are more likely to be engaged and find meaning in that thing that we're teaching, even if that thing is fractions or whatever, you know, area and perimeter, you know, if, if it's some sort of discrete knowledge that they might not really understand, why does it matter? Well, there is a relationship between this and the world and how it functions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was just talking to a science teacher who we went through this whole like probably 40 minute conversation and we got to this thing. And it was kind of like, eh, okay, like I feel like I'm just kind of still adding justice in. Mm. And then he phrased it better than I could, right? Because like teachers, just like students always do it better than we could. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, okay. So we're using the science as a way to advance justice. So we're not just mm-hmm. saying like, here's this extra add-on. We're like, no, we're learning about the science so that the science can be the way we reduce climate change impact on racialized mm-hmm. communities or something, right. you know, like, yeah. Interesting. So then what are some of the hurdles? And you've kind of hinted at a couple of them already, but some of the hurdles that we have to plan for as coaches, as facilitators, when we're starting to help teams plan collaboratively and write units together. Like you said, it's very different than working one-on-one with a teacher. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things is identifying the places you need consensus 
and making space for it and having, I, I think, even a protocol for it. So I like something as basic as like fist to five, three and above, we mm-hmm. can live with it, you know, two and below, we can talk about it. And I think that just gives some sort of structure to this kind of amorphous, like, well, what do we need to agree on? Do we all use the same rubric, even if we're teaching different lessons or even different projects to get to that rubric? Like, are we still assessing on the same standards? Um, And how much do we like nitpick the language of the rubric, right? Can there be personalization to each teacher or should we really be like this exact wording stays the same? And if the exact wording stays the same, does it need to happen in the coaching call with me? Or is this something that is independent work that you can do later on and kind of bring back to the table, right? And I think that's like, how do we leverage our time together where we're all sitting together in the chair? Because I've literally been in coaching calls with a PLC where we have gone so far down the road of specific language of like one sentence for 30 minutes. And it's like, we're totally lost for the day. (laughs) Right. So that's one piece I would say. And I think another piece, I've drawn a lot on adaptive leadership. Um, and I think resistance as loss is a big thing that they talk about. So this idea of resistance often is like, if we're doing something totally new, sometimes it's a, a loss of identity as like, I was a good teacher or looking back is like, does that mean the unit I just did was terrible? And I'm, I'm like destroyed my students <laughs> for the last 20 years I've taught this or whatever. Um, and I think one of the other pieces of that, so one, just acknowledging that loss. And then the other piece that right now in the climate of especially teaching for justice and thinking about all the state laws that are being passed in the book bans and you know the legislation there is often this fear even in states like Massachusetts where I live where there's not legislation like that on the books right now but teachers are still kind of self-censoring or districts are like preemptively or like you know for whatever reason censoring themselves and their teachers and so I think one of the things adaptive leadership coaches us to do is think about the underlying beliefs habits and loyalties and I love that wording because it's like ooh, who is my loyalty to is it the comfort of the rich white parent who I think might say something and I actually am not even sure if they will but that's who's in my mind versus all of the parents who might actually love this direction that my curriculum is going, but that's not the voice in my head. It's a really interesting, like deep inner work that we have to do sometimes with that. And I'm sure some of that comes from, I'm worried, like I can do some small things, but if I push too far, that's going to be the thing that trips up the system. And then we're not going to be able to do anything. So it's like, you're kind of pushing at the edges of things, but you're afraid that if you push that too far, then you're there. The pushback will be so extreme that now you can't even read books about people who look different than you, you know, like it's like the degree of, of retaliation, you know, is, is a scary thing. Yeah. And, and a lot of that fear is, is very warranted. I mean, people are like, right. you know, in, in many States is like losing their jobs over things yes. like for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that, that I think is also interesting from a leadership level is like being able to work with the department. Sometimes in my role where I'm not in a school, it's actually coming into a school. So getting the leaders to be excited about this work and be interested because sometimes the teachers are, but the leaders might not be. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's also that piece to navigate that can sometimes present a challenge as well. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Getting everybody kind of on board with the idea because whatever you produce is going into classrooms. And admin has to be ready to say, yes, this is what we believe in. This is, these are the lessons we've created and we believe they are for the betterment of our students. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So what are the logistics of your planning sessions? What does it look like? I get a lot of questions about how can we make PLC work within the realities of the school day um, and, you know, a planning session within our teams. So what do, what do your logistics look like? Yeah, such a good question. So my dream and how I've 
luckily been able to do this with a lot of departments now that I am fully on my own and not working within the confines of, of, mm-hmm. of some traditional instructional coaching spaces is two days completely separated out from like teaching. So we're not like going back to our classes. We have full-time subs or we're doing this mm-hmm. on a non-instructional day. and We have a PD day dedicated to this where we just have the space to be able to create as a teacher myself. This is what my principal did for me when I was teaching and our department literally just went two floors below where we taught. And we were just like in a room for two full days. And we, and I was like, this is it. This is where my brain just gets to be free to create. I get to collaborate in a really meaningful way. And I'm not looking at the clock to say, Oh, I got to be, you know, printing these copies or whatever for the next class period. So I think being able to have that space is ideal. And if you can't, I think being able to give as much creation time as possible in like the one hours have also done kind of like the one hour PLC time that is part of the school day where you got to get back. Um, And I think for me thinking about often I coach teachers to think about 75% of the class time is student work time or student talk time. And so I try to do the same as a facilitator of a conversation So we're Mm co-creating. So I'm not going to talk and give you process guidance or examples for more than maybe 10 minutes of that hour. Um, And then creation time is really 25, maybe 30 minutes. And then we're we're kind of sharing out, maybe getting some feedback and committing to a next step. And I think that's the last five minutes is always next step. And like, what is the evidence of implementation or feedback? And when we think about kind of that measurement piece, sometimes, you know, we can bristle at accountability and that can feel scary and it has been used in scary ways. Mm But like we're accountable to students. So what are the students saying? What are the students able to do? And you know, what's that data we can look at next time? I love that you include that accountability piece at the end because something that I also hear from coaches is, well, this idea of like leading from the middle where you are supposed to hold teachers accountable, but you are not an administrator. There is no, you can't really say, you know, anything like, well, you didn't do this. So this is, you know, the con- or I am requiring you to do this. That's not really the role that we have. But you can create accountability to your team by saying, what is this piece that you're going to bring back the next time that we talk, the next time we work on this? What are you going to bring with you to show how it went? It's not about a gotcha. That word is so irritating to me. It's not about that. It's about how are, how did it go? How did it go in your, in your classroom with your actual kids when you tried this? And let's bring that artifact back or let's bring that, you know, whatever it is, those responses back. And talk with our team about how it went so that we can make adjustments for the next time that we plan. But you don't know what adjustments you need if you don't try it. So try it, try something, and then bring something back to share about how it went. Yeah, exactly. And I love that idea of bring something back too, because it's like, I could just kind of reflect, but then my reflection might be off. I mean, I've had so many times where I taught something and then I was like, I taught it last week and I think Mm -hmm. it went well. Like, I don't really remember what the student said. So it's like, can you literally record in the moment or ask students to write down on an exit Mm -hmm. ticket or like some level of student voice that is concrete and is like decentering you as the teacher. Granted, Mm -hmm. that experience as the teacher is important. Like, how did it feel like it went to you is is important, but it's also like, you know, the student's (laughs) voice is important. Even a little video, you know, is provided everybody okay. has the ability, you know, legally to do that. Um, a little video that you can share in your team and everybody just sits there and watches your, you know, two minute video of kids working in teams on something that is is evidence of learning and of, of engagement and of how things are going in your classroom in relation to these lessons that you plan together. Absolutely. And I think even when we're thinking big, like curriculum sometimes seems very big and, and yeah, you want to, you know, like plan out some things, but I also think there's so much that you can kind of co-create. So you could be in the middle of a unit and still kind of 
building the unit because you're co-creating it with students, not necessarily mm-hmm. because you didn't think to plan, but but because we have kind of a frame and then we're like, okay, well, the students came back last week and they told me they're interested in these three ideas. So now next week's case studies or whatever we're going to call them, those lessons are going to be focused on these three ideas. So like, let's brainstorm resources or something. There's so mm-hmm. much we could do within the context of a PLC to kind of build the plane as we fly it in, in service of student voice and co-creation. So how does that look whenever you're thinking about, okay, these are the three things they have to learn by the end of this unit. These are the three things they're interested in or the things that came back from my students as kind of like an inquiry sort of um, model. So then how are you bridging that with teachers when you're looking at resources in the next lesson planning? Oh my gosh, that is a phenomenal question. And one that I've been grappling with like my entire (laughs) career. (laughs) So I think to me right now in this moment, and even by the time this airs, I may have (laughs) added something, but I think right now it looks like building out that unit arc that that we talked about before, Mm -hmm. where we have kind of a general idea with the specific protocols and activities, like this is what it's going to look like. The discussion is going to take this form, but the content kind of comes through conversation with students. So you might plan out, typically what I will have teachers plan out is like the hook lesson. So like what's What's the thing we're going to do to get people excited? And maybe Mm -hmm. that includes some question generation and some inquiry kind of style activities. What's the foundation? So that might be, um, you know, a week's worth of of content. That is what I usually call build the base. So what are the absolute essentials? And this takes a lot of paring down usually from what we typically teach. But it's like if they learn nothing else, I have three things that they need to learn or one concept that they need to learn in like a few different areas of application. What is that one thing? And then if we could get clear on that, then we could say, okay, so we're going to actually just keep revisiting. Like in history, for example, we might be doing, you know, a a unit on the Constitution or something. So we're going to keep revisiting this segment of the Constitution again and again and again because it's like the most important part. And then we're going to look at how that constitution is played out in our case studies coming up. I might choose one in advance, but then I might ask students or look at those questions they generated and then find resources. They might even bring in resources of how is that playing out in Mm -hmm. current events? Like what's a news article we could bring in or a video clip or, you know, a letter to an editor in a recent paper. And then that's how we would co-create moving forward. But the very initial stages, the first week or two of the unit, I might already have planned out. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I I was thinking about like in science when I taught fourth grade and we were learning about like the effects of natural events in an ecosystem, you know, like if there's a fire in the forest or something, there's a lot of different kinds of events that you can learn about in that within that one standard. And some of those events, they are natural, but maybe our actions as humans perpetuated those events like fracking or something. So, you know, we can learn about the thing in lots of different ways because one standard doesn't have it's it's not always clear like literally what that standard means especially in science and social studies there's like one standard one statement and maybe it has such as so you know you have to include those things but beyond that you can really kind of dig into different kinds of examples and and make connections too you know like you said um you know the way that we see it playing out in the real world current events and and you know looking at looking at it with that lens of justice so that we're making sure that everything we're looking at we're understanding how it's actually affecting the kids that we're working with or other populations and the kids that we're working with that maybe they should know a little bit more about. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely think that's right. So what role does the coach serve during these sessions? Because I can see like over time, that role would probably change if you work with one team over time. I'm going to think that the coach might have to take a little more of a leadership role at the beginning and then over time be able to be more like a team member. But what does 
Like, what does that look like? And are there different roles? Because I would imagine, like you mentioned before, you know, certain questions or like setting up the framework and those things have to be done. So what does that look like? Yeah, I, I can't, forgive me. I can't remember who the guest on your podcast was a few episodes back, but they talked about coach versus consultants. Does yeah. that sound familiar? My friend, Arthur, Arthur Aguirre. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. He's a life okay. coach and he was talking about coaching conversations. Yes. So I think I, it was fascinating listening to that episode for me because was. I was like, Ooh, I think I actually take on a role of a consultant occasionally, even though yes. I do really situate myself as a coach most often. But I think sometimes, especially if the process is really unfamiliar, like, what do you mean, Lindsay, take a spark and then create from it? Like, what is that? No one's asked me to do that. And so it's <laughs> like, sometimes we have to be a consultant in the, okay, this is an example of what this might look like, or here's like 30 sparks. I want you to like sift through them and see what what's resonating with you. And how do you know what's resonating? Oh, that feeling in your gut or that, you know, like that you thought immediately of that student and that thing that they said, or you know, whatever. Sometimes that takes a little bit more maybe prompting or offering mm-hmm. some examples, I think. Then, like you said, later on, even, you know, even the second part of the first day of something like this, you could take a much more backseat approach. Yeah. But I think early mm-hmm. on to just even get the understanding of what it is that we're trying to do in the process that we're trying to go through, I think there's usually a lot of hesitancy and confusion. And I've literally gotten feedback from participants before saying, you know, I, as, as a teacher who only knows my context and only does, you know, has taught in this one way in this one department, I just needed you to step in and say, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to just try this out for the next 15 minutes. Let's try to game out this scenario or this approach. And and that way, sometimes that'll actually bring people together where they might have said, you know, we want to teach history thematically and we want to teach it chronologically. And that's a huge social studies debate. But like, you know, what if we game out this approach and just see if we like, you know, let's take the next 10 minutes. That to me is like sometimes a little bit more consulting than coaching. Um, But I do think like asking the right questions is something I'm trying to still work on. And I think I will hopefully refine some of those really effective questions over time at different stages of this process that will really push people forward without me having to take as much of a consultant role. I'm really glad you brought that up because yeah, you're right. We don't want to do so much like directive, you know, this is what we should do. And, but we also are, it's needed that we do that sometimes because like, especially at the beginning, but sometimes just whenever we just hit a wall and that is normal. And the truth is if people could do it without you, they might already just be doing it. So you might need to just tell them something, you know, (laughs) like instead of everybody sitting there feeling really frustrated because if the process is wishy-washy, teachers are very uncomfortable. And that was my, as a new coach, I was, I was trying to plan with these people that I didn't know and didn't know me. And we all came from different places in the way that I had planned with teams that I knew that I, as a teacher, that I was one of the teachers on the team and we knew each other and we would, you know, we had a sec, a shorthand language because we just knew each other. And I came into coaching thinking that you could plan with, oh, we'll have kind of like a broad structure and then we can just share some ideas about this. And what are some things that we could do to engage kids? And, and teachers looked at me like I, they were like, what does that mean? What is a learning experience? What are you talking about? What is this format? I don't know what this is. It was like a very stressful experience. And so I learned from that more structure is needed to get started. And then you can open it up and do all kinds of cool stuff. But if you don't have the structure to start, people feel like, I don't know what I'm walking away with. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in this moment. 
Yes. And one of the, one of the areas that I think, cause I, I put a lot of emphasis on the driving question of a unit because uh-huh. I think we can use it even as the exit ticket every single day. Like every single lesson is like, how do I think differently about yeah. this big question? And it's so hard to come up with a good one. And honestly, it could be years before you could come up with a perfect one. I mean, is there any such thing as perfect? But what I've decided to do is start using some sentence starters of common driving question yeah. frames. And that has just elevated the conversation. It's reduced the brainstorming time. And it's like, okay, I don't really care if every department I work with has the same frame, if it's an amazing question and it's an amazing unit. And at first I was so hesitant to to restrict the conversation. But I think once you get it, like you said, you can then expand that you can then throw out the frames and go from there. Yeah, the scaffolds are there for a reason. And it can you like you say, you feel like, oh, I don't want to limit it. I don't want to take away, you know, their independence or their like their free thinking. Yeah, they don't even know where to start. So let's get them started. And then we can do all the amazing, you know, we can really open it up once they have a handle on, oh, this is what I'm 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 trying to do here. I totally agree. You mentioned something a minute ago about like teaching history thematically versus chronologically. How do you really support teachers of different philosophies? You talked about like, let's just like a thought experiment. Let's just try it out and see what we think. Um, But what do you do in that? Like, is that the main way that you support them? Or what are some other things that you do to support um, teachers who come from really different backgrounds? Yeah, this is this is hard. (laughs) I think honestly, One is to make time for it, make time for the struggle. So initially I was thinking I could do some of this work so much faster because like you were saying, my familiarity with teams that I had worked with is like, oh, we can do it this fast. Well, that's Mm -hmm. because we're already on the same page about Mm -hmm. so many foundational things. Um, And so if you're brand new to working with a team, I think give it it a little bit more time than you anticipate, one. (laughs) And then two, I like to really ground everything just like I did in teaching with a class, just like I would do in like a PLC that I was part of as a teacher, um, ground in shared values and, and a shared vision. And so if you can just name and be able to name the values that are important to you in this project or in this unit creation or whatever it is, I think that's huge. I also like to share some like um, commitments or agreements that I usually use as part of community building. I think we do this a lot, at, you know, teachers in a classroom or staff who are leading like their first meeting for the year, um, you know, a coach who's working with their first team for the year. We do this then, but I think at the beginning of each project, just to ground us in that, one of the biggest mm-hmm. ones for me is to uphold the dignity of all people. And so when you're talking specifically about justice, like just to name that whatever we're doing, it's in the best interest of advancing justice and dignity for all people. And so if we can just kind of land on that and then any other supporting vision or values, it can really bring us back. Like another piece is to bring us back to the kids. We're here for the kids. So any sort of like disagreement or something we have, we can just ask ask ourselves the question or the coach can ask the question, like, what would this look like when it's impacting kids? What's the impact that it could have? And so we can kind of like game out different scenarios or decisions from that perspective, because I think that's the unifying piece for us. And sometimes in our general national political discourse, even it's very polarizing and we just get into, this is the side that I'm on. um, And this is what I believe. I don't want to hear anyone else. While I think like dignity is an important piece to uphold, like I think that that grounds us. So as long as we have that um, disagreement is fine and we can kind of move forward with what's the impact on kids making any decision kind of with that in mind makes it so much easier to just be like, okay, right. So that's the clear next step, or we could go in either of these directions and it will still be beneficial for kids. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had people get like outright heated or very agitated or yeah what 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 has that experience been 
Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think for, for the most part, people are are generally very much there for the kids and able to like kind of bring themselves in in terms of whatever they might have wanted to say in a um, maybe a private meeting without me as the coach yeah. there, for example. Um, but I, I, I do think that there have been moments where things have gotten heated and we just need to take five. So we literally will just take a break and I will have usually a, like on, on the screen or if there's a projector or, you know, whatever, just kind of a moment of like, so why are we here? Like, let's ground again in the vision. Um, or maybe we write down and we'll do an activity like I would with students, you know, as a teacher yeah. or something like, you know, here's the emotion I'm feeling in this moment. Mm-hmm. One of the, the things that I use, and this is a, I like acronyms. So I had to find an acronym that I could remember easy. So I just kind of made one up. I think it's an adaptation of Glasser's five basic needs. Um, and so it's base. And so these are like the often unmet needs that we have in a conversation. So belonging, autonomy, Uh, survival and enjoyment. And so if I'm not having one of those things, if I can name in a conversation, you know, oh, I'm, I'm feeling like a little bit of lack of joy right now, or I'm feeling (laughs) a little bit of lack of autonomy, then I can like ground it in that versus think you're being blah, 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 you know, it's it's more about like my experience of the situation. So a little bit of kind of like conflict resolution skill building in there. Mm -hmm. But I do think that 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 often grounds us in why we are here and moves us forward. Um, but it is it is absolutely challenging because I think especially if teachers are expected to teach the exact same lessons with the same like texts and everything. Yes. yes. It's like, this is a very hard ask. That's why if I were ever an administrator, I would not ask people to do that most likely. Um, and why I ground it also in we are developing almost like a it's not a template really, but it is kind of like a template in, in the sense that we are building the foundation. We're building the first few weeks. We know kind of the arc of where we're going, but so much is going to be co-constructed with students that just inherently in the way that we design, we don't have to agree on everything because we're centering the student voices and not our teacher voices. So that mm-hmm. can be helpful as a way around it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point. Um, alignment is a, a prickly place to be. Um, I, as a coach, as a teacher, we were not aligned and nobody cared. And that was not great for kids in a lot of cases. And as a coach, <laughs> alignment was expected and it had not been in the past. And so I was the one responsible for getting that going. And <laughs> that was rough because I was like, Ugh. like it was alignment was not an issue as a, as a classroom teacher, because I didn't see all the other classrooms, but then I had kids coming up with tremendous gaps and people who could have benefited from support from their colleagues, but there's a degree of alignment that is reasonable. And then there's a degree of alignment that can be a little bit much, you know, and whenever we all have to be doing the exact same thing at the exact same time, that can be a problem. Um, But it also can be certain pieces of it can be very supportive of teachers who need the support. But it also can rein in those teachers who could do truly awesome stuff. So it's a really, I don't know the answer. Um, It's a really tricky place to be. And having people move into that when they have never done it before, like if this is their first experience planning collaboratively with you, that's probably like, well, this is exciting. Like, (laughs) I'm sure you get a lot of like, you could probably feel the energy in the room at times is, uh, is, is just very uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've worked with teams who they're like, we actually don't want to redo curriculum at all. Like we yeah. we are completely fine with exactly what we have. We don't know why we're here. And then it's like, ready, go. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what we're doing today? <laughs> the opposite of what you just said. <laughs> yeah. And I found in those moments, I mean, I still am looking for, you know, <laughs> coaching tips on how to, how to 
deal with that situation because that is so mm-hmm. difficult. As you're saying, like so many challenging situations that we as coaches are put in from leading from the middle. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, we're going to make the best right. of it. But I do think that grounding and like, what do you wish school would be for your students? Like, what do yes. you think would be the best possible scenario? And then we can kind of go in with like, okay, well, you might love your curriculum. You might, you know, you might keep pieces of it even, but let's just yeah. thought experiment here. Yes, and I like, agree. what could this potentially look like? And that sometimes can, again, that dreaming space sometimes can be more freeing than the reality. Yeah, exactly. I'm, you know what? I'm not here to make sure that you're doing every single lesson every day. I am here to help you plan a really awesome unit. So let's plan a really awesome unit and see what happens. And maybe you'll actually like it. I mean, you know, can we just like try it and see what happens? You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a reasonable approach in many cases, um, whenever you have the ability to do that. I also actually was the person going into classrooms <laughs> who was going to follow up as well and see how things were going. But again, you try to say, hey, how is it going? How is what we planned working? What can we do to adjust it and make it better? And it's it takes time, but it's just, a, we just have to be responsive and say, yeah, okay, you're having an issue with this. Okay, we'll come back and we'll talk about that. And we'll try to problem solve that together during our next session. You know, that's, I feel like that's the best we can do with the realities of coaching sometimes. So having teachers plan together oftentimes is new in many, I mean, many times they haven't to do it. Having teachers having to be aligned is new, but what kinds of methods have you used to have teachers implement something new, like new content or new strategies? Or, I mean, I'm sure just the, you know, approaching it from that focus of social justice is new in itself. How are you getting teachers to try these new things in their units? Yeah, I was just going to say the idea of justice is often yeah. so new, yeah. at least the degree to which, oh, you want to center it. It needs to be in the questioning and the project. You know, they're uh-huh. doing an activist project. Like what? So I do think that inherent in the expectations and the framing in the process, it is just new. And then it's, you know, how to what degree am I kind of meeting that or able to do that? Um, and so I think that's kind of the thing that's often the thing that's hard, right? Is like, okay, well, that's so new. And so like, what does that even look like? And so again, that dreaming space of like, okay, well, you're you're nervous about fitting in all of the standards and you don't have the time and you're kind of thinking, how do I sprinkle it in? But you're asking me not to sprinkle it in. Like, you know, what does that look like? So again, it's kind of, let's put all of that worry aside of how we get there and let's kind of just dream, um, get to the how later kind of thing. Uh, But I do think, so some of it, especially like the unit arc piece, we can test that before we're even in the the unit itself and in the planning stages. So I was just thinking of like a PLC before you get to the actual curriculum planning, you're kind of doing like the pre-planning maybe mm-hmm. uh, where you're thinking about what protocols or activities might be part of a unit arc. I might test a new protocol uh, as a team, maybe we say, okay, we want some better discussion protocols. So, you know, these two teachers are going to volunteer to do circle protocol. And these two are going to do Socratic seminar. Okay. And these two are going to do a write around mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, and then we're going to come back and we're going to think about that. And then maybe based on the student feedback, we agree as a team that our unit arc is going to include one Socratic seminar per unit and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so I think that is a kind of a I don't know if it's safer, but like a, a way that sometimes feels a little bit less scary. If you're like, as a team, we're investigating and we're testing, you know, some protocols. So it's not even like we're testing content. We're testing something that we're going to do a lesson every day anyways. There was going to be discussion anyways. And now we're just kind of tinkering with what that could look like. And we're doing it collectively. And so sometimes that's like an easier entry into like, okay, now we start maybe our curriculum conversation with the full unit arc already planned out with all the protocols we already love. 
And that's an anchoring and like what we feel confident in, what we know our students like. And now we're feeling a little bit more exploratory and willing to flex on some of the content that may have initially felt scary because we have half of it done in terms of the pedagogy. I love that idea. I love that idea of saying, let's look, these are our different choices and let's divide it up and like, which one do you want to try? You get to choose which one you want to try and then go try it out and let us know how it went. I love that because it, it's like a personalized, it's a personal choice. They can decide which one they think might work for their kids and then they get to try it out and then they can come back and they become the expert in that thing because they actually use it with real children. And I think that is such a, it's almost fun. It's like a fun way you know, like <laughs> I do love planning. And so I get a kick out of planning lessons. And I remember my teachers were like, that is so weird. That is not normal. I'd be like, yeah, we're going to plan a year on adaptations. And they were like, that's all right. You know, but I just, it's just fun. Starting something new is fun and figuring out how it's going to go is fun. But if we can involve the teachers in some of that joy, right, share the joy and let them have the opportunity to try stuff out and experiment. I just think that's a great method. Yeah, it's so fun to be able to tinker and learn together. And when you have that learning orientation of like, we're testing, we're just testing. Yeah, It's so much, it's like, oh, if my coach comes in and it's totally flopping, this lesson is awful. It's like, well, we did it. We tested. That's like a good thing we were willing to try. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for all of the content that you've shared today about how we can plan, you know, in in new and exciting ways with our teachers. Um, Because I think it's, this is a big challenge coaches have. As a new coach, I struggled with planning PLCs. It was like the bane of my existence until I figured it out. And then it just kept, I mean, it keeps changing all the time, like you said, you know, so thank you for giving us some new ideas that we can implement. Of course. Thank you so much. I just learned so much in conversation about some of these strategies and just hearing like what feels interesting to other people or what other people's kind of take on things are like, I just loved this conversation. So thank you. Oh yeah, I did too. I love to talk shop. So, and I love to talk shop with people who are excited to talk shop, right? (laughs) That's the best. Um, Before you go, I do want to ask you, it's a fun question that I ask all of my guests and um, it is, what is your favorite thing right now? And it can be anything. It can be an activity, a product, a podcast, a book, anything you're loving right now. This is such a hard question because I feel like lots of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess in the education realm specifically, I'm thinking of Street Data Pod because, and we're also in the podcasting realm. So I, I think mm-hmm. this is like one of my favorite podcasts at the moment. The book Street Data was amazing by Shane Safir and Jamila Dugan, and then Alcine Mumby came in with Shane Safir, and now they have a, a podcast. Mm-hmm. They have amazing guests. They are always talking about justice centered education, and they just ask really good questions. And so it is one of those ones where I'm like, oh, it came out five minutes ago. Like I'm listening right now, pausing everything else. Awesome. That's a great recommendation. I'll have to check it out. I'm a huge podcast person. I always have like a wait, a list of things that I'm listening to for all different reasons, you know, all all different purposes. Um, Mostly entertainment, uh, because whenever I do information, I tend to do an audio book, but I do love to listen to it just it's just such a great way. There's information is out there, you know, and, and people are saying smart and funny things all the time. Absolutely. It's usually how I motivate myself to go for a longer run is I'm like, oh, I will listen to a podcast. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I've been saving this one. That's what they say. You're supposed to, to, for tasks you don't enjoy, you're supposed to set yourself up with either like an audiobook or a podcast you're excited to listen to that you're only allowed to listen to when you're doing the thing you don't want to (laughs) do. So where can people find you online or in the real world if they want to talk to you, you know, ask you questions or if they want to enlist your services in, you know, supporting their planning? Where can they find you? 
Yeah, I'm getting better about social media. So I am on it. Usually Lindsay Beth Lyons, but lindsaybethlyons.com is my website. So everything's there. There's a bunch of free resources on there. Um, my podcast, Time for Teachership, is on there. So it's a nice central hub. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Lindsay, and sharing all of your ideas. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> all right, coaches. That was fantastic. I love people when they come on here and they have tons of energy and you can just hear the energy that Lindsay has for planning collaboratively and involving social justice. And I just think that's fantastic. So I know I got some really great ideas if I were going to do some planning. I love that idea. I sincerely do about um, having teachers try out different things before you plan it together for everybody. That is such a cool idea. So yeah, definitely um, try that one out if you're working with teams of teachers. I also have a resource for you that you can use to plan with your teachers if they are stuck. Like if you talk to them and they don't say anything. <laughs> and if you're working with your PLCs and they are just like, I hate to say they're, they're duds, but sometimes they're duds. And so if you head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 163 and scroll down, you can grab the PLC discussion dice. I've got a free one for you there. I have the resource in my store on Teachers Pay Teachers, but you can grab a free one there on my um, site. So that is has like each side, you roll the dice and each side has uh, a prompt for teachers to share about. So if you're having trouble getting people to talk, there you go. Use the dice, get everybody. It's almost like a game. It, it's a little bit more engaging than just posing maybe a question. So you can check it out. Um, if you are interested in learning more about how to use your PLCs effectively, you want to listen to my episode next week. We are talking to a coach in the field about PLCs and we're going to do some troubleshooting and some problem solving together because their PLCs were initiated once and they were not initiated well. And I know that you have seen that happen before, right? Whenever PLCs get off to a really bad start. So we're going to talk a little bit about how this coach can support their faculty and get those PLCs moving again, and also um, what role they're going to serve during that time, how they get people to do all the, the pre preparation stuff that needs to happen. Tons of great stuff we're going to talk about in the next episode, and that is going to be episode 164. So I cannot wait to talk to you next week about PLCs, and until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.